a worldwide podcast. My name is Dan Spiegel, Managing Director of Cobalt Banker Commercial, and I'll be your host today. CBC has close to 3,000 commercial real estate professionals in the United States, Canada, and around the globe, plus representation in many countries and neighborhoods. With us today is Dennis Pruitt, Vice President of Business Development for the Missouri Partnership. I was fortunate to meet Dennis at the National Association of Realtors C5 Summit that took place this past August in New York. Dennis and I had an engaging conversation as part of a panel discussion with economic development professionals. Today, we will continue that conversation one-on-one. -on -one. Dennis has had close to 25 years experience in city planning and economic development. He holds a BA degree in French and history from Harding University and a master's degree in urban planning from Texas A&M University. Hence, I have a kinship with Dennis that I hold a master's in urban planning as well. Dennis is the Vice President of Business Development for the Missouri Partnership, as I said. He focuses on business development in both domestic and international companies and is often involved with corporate site selection, a topic of interest to the real estate community. Dennis lives in St. Louis with his family. Today, we will speak with Dennis about the role of economic development specialists and agencies like the Missouri Partnership in attracting business growth and how they work closely with the commercial real estate community. Welcome, Dennis. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, thanks, Dan. It's an honor to be here. Uh, you know, why don't we start out a little bit about talking about your path, how you got into economic development in the first place? I would say that most people, when you ask them about how you got into economic development, they'll use the verb stumbled. And I, I don't, I, I, I would align with that a little bit. I did not set out in high school to become an economic developer. I wasn't even aware of the profession. My hero in my life, both personally and professionally, is my dad. Uh, he's a civil engineer, and I wanted to follow in his footsteps, but math was never really super strong for me. I, I really leaned towards the liberal arts side. And one of my dad's projects was uh, in Southeast Asia. We lived in Malaysia at the time, my freshman year of high school. And I was exposed to the diplomatic corps and the embassies, and and I really was drawn into that profession or that idea of a profession. And so I pursued French, which was the diplomatic language at the time, and wanted to become an ambassador. And so if you take those two components, diplomacy and engineering, and you merge them together, you kind of end up with economic development. We're economic ambassadors for our, our location. And there's a lot of technical components to what we do. It involves site development, involves sewer and water capacity, uh, utilities. So there's a good technical component to it, but there's also a very good liberal arts component to it. And so that's what I kind of stumbled into it that way from, from a combination of, of technical as well as diplomacy. Thanks for sharing that. That's super interesting. I love the way you characterized you being an ambassador, right? In a sense, you're right. You're an ambassador for your for your state in your case, but there's ambassadors for counties and cities uh, and countries as a whole. So that's a really great way of characterizing what economic development people do. Yeah, I remember my first uh, job interview for my uh, first position in economic development and, and the the president of the board asked me if I would be willing to go to a, a corporate headquarters and be a cheerleader for the community. And I said, well, no, I wouldn't be a cheerleader. I would rather be an ambassador because I think that, you know, we want to not to d diminish the role of a cheerleader, but I think we really need to become solid and scientific and, and 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 give solid proof of why our communities are the right location for a company. Because otherwise, you're just spouting out platitudes about great quality of life or great location, a great workforce. But you have to be able to back that up, and that's what we try to do. 
That's excellent. So this will be a great conversation because I think very important to the real estate community is how to work with economic development professionals. Some people are probably well familiar and others, uh, even private investors may not be aware of what opportunities may exist at state, local, or county level. So why don't we uh, transition a little bit and talk about the Missouri Partnership? You know, where does the organization receive its funding? What role does it play in your state's economy? Because I'm sure it's a, it's, it's a role that's, that's common across all 50 states in the U.S., maybe internationally as well. So, but specifically to Missouri, why don't you talk about, a little about the partnership? Sure. And I think to answer that question, let me take one step back and, and kind of set the stage for economic development organizations, if that's okay with you, Dan. Certainly. So, yeah, we, we we operate, an economic development group is defined both by its geography and its function. And our organization, Missouri Partnership, is, is a statewide group, and hence our, our, our territory that we serve is, is statewide. The, uh, but you'll also find local economic development organizations, and that would be at the county or the city level. And you would also potentially find regional economic development groups, and those are going to be multi-county. Like, for example, in, in Missouri, we have two very strong regional groups, one in Kansas City and one in St. Louis. Uh, it's also kind of unique that both of them serve counties on both sides of the line. So the Kansas City group serves both Missouri and Kansas. Uh, the St. Louis group serves both uh, Illinois and Missouri. So that's that's a little bit unusual, but the, the regional groups, the local groups, and then the statewide in the United States, we also have a federal level, Select USA, which is a relatively new organization. Uh, the, the, in the United States, the the economic development activity is is primarily driven at the local level. Uh, we're very competitive against the, the the other 49 states. International side, you'll see that the economic development efforts are, are usually top down. So the national level, Japan, France, Germany, you you have a very clear centralized approach to economic development, but in the United States, it's very localized and very competitive. We're a statewide group. Uh, we're public-private, which means that we get funding from both the state as well as private industry. That gives us some opportunities to act in a different way than some of our competitors that are purely public. Just some mundane examples here, the, the, the budgeting opportunities are different for us. We're able to entertain uh, easily, uh, clients. We can provide alcohol for entertainment. We can get. We 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 have the flexibility of getting suites at sporting events. For example, we've done a, an event in D.C. where we had the Capitals and the Blues game, and had a suite for for 25 companies, and we're able to entertain them in a way that would be difficult for a, a public agency to do. But we do have that accountability. We have budgets. We have audits. We have share stakeholders, we have public officials that we report to. So there is accountability, but there's a little level of flexibility on, on how we spend our money. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I didn't realize the difference between what kind of a pure government agency and what limitations they may have as Bell's benefits uh, and what a public-private partnership can do in terms of your flexibility to uh, deliver your ambassador services, if you will. So that's that's great. I really appreciate elucidating you know, how that works. Another point on that, which is important, is, is the confidentiality that we're we're allowed to you know, most or government organizations have a sunshine rule where they're required to share information. Now, when it comes to economic development projects, there is some level of accommodation for confidentiality. But with a public-private organization, we're also 
able to maintain that confidentiality longer than you would be at a public agency. So that's okay. another distinction. Yeah, oh, that's great. So let's just take that a little bit further, because I think for for real estate professionals and, and real estate actors, you know, one of the questions that may exist or challenges they have is how do they work? How does one work with a state agency, be it public, private or public? vis-a-vis county and city and whatever other agencies there may be. I mean, how do they work together? What's your role vis-a-vis the others? If I was a person seeking assistance in some manner to relocate, who do I go to? We, we communicate with each other every day. And so we will we'll have it, conversations uh, with the local uh, partners frequently, regularly. I would recommend if, if I was a real estate professional, I would start at the local level and make sure that the local economic development person was aware of the asset that you have, whether it's a site or a building, and and make sure that that information is communicated at the local level, because what will happen is that information will get funneled up to us at the state level. So if we have a project, if a company's looking, we're working directly with a company, and they want us to provide an example of a 150, 200,000 square foot building with a 26 foot high ceiling. We're not gonna be aware of every single option in our state. What we do is we take that lead and then we'll send it down to the regional and local level and have them identify because they're closer to the market. And that's why it's important for a individual real estate professional to be having that positive relationship with the local level. And then they will then send that information back up to us. Now, we're always open to having conversations with developers, with brokers at the state level, but it's more effective at the at the local level for that level of conversation. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And so I would think if I was a professional even and I had a piece of land or a building that might be, you know, uniquely have an appeal to a company because it's a, a plant that has access to a heavy power rail or or clean water, things that that, you know, not every typical building has. I might want to bring that to the attention of my local economic development professionals, and they in turn would make that accessible to people like you and then, you know, just bring awareness. So if a company does come looking for that, you'd say, yeah, I just heard of that. So that's a great kind of marketing tip that a typical uh, real estate professional may not be thinking of. Yeah, and we all have databases of properties that we, we maintain that that could be done regionally, multi-state. It could be done like, so for example, we use LOAS, which is Location One Information System. That's a multi-state platform. We also use CoStar. So I would encourage, and, and th- those fields are populated at the local level. And so it, it has the ability to take a digital photo of the property and you can you can upload, I don't know, 25, 30 photos if you wanted. Uh, it would have the the ceiling height, the square footage, the utilities, and that's information that we we rely on regularly. So that would be a very practical step for a local broker to make sure that the local economic development organization has up-to-date, relevant information on price and size of the building, because we're accessing that information. In fact, I did this morning. I was looking for a quick search, didn't have time to go to my local partners, the community just, I mean, the company just wanted a quick example of a building. I plugged in the parameters on the search and was able to pull up multiple buildings. And so that's a very easy and fundamental way for a local broker to work with us. Yeah, I think you just thought, made me think of another thing, which is a local broker should just build a relationship with their economic professionals. Because, you know, in real estate, yes, there's what's available in CoStar. We know those are currently marketed, but most real estate professionals know about 
other things going on in the market, right? And so if there is something that might have an appeal at the at the regional or national or state level, those professionals need that relationship. So they can say, hey, you know, I, I know of this site, the uh, owner's thinking of selling, or said, bring me an offer, that sort of thing. And so that's a great, great reason to be in touch with your local economic development people. I'm going to speak in generalities here, but most of the economic development people I know are very externally focused and want to build relationships because we know that we as individuals don't make a deal happen. We rely on the owner of the property. We rely on the government to bring in the incentives. We rely on the company to make the investment. So you have these, we're in the middle of those three main primary uh, audiences. And so we're always looking for allies. Uh, we are always looking for, for good product. Uh, we always are have our eyes open for these relationships. So we're gonna be, as a profession, very approachable and interested in what you have to, to offer to us. And so it's really important to, to just pick up the phone, call, call the, the local economic development person and say, hey, here's an asset that I have. How does it align with your interest? And so that's another, another thing to keep in mind is that um, economic development organizations have different functions. Uh, we talked about the geography, but the functions are important as well. We at Missouri Partnership and, and other statewide groups like us, we, we're focused on investments. We're looking for companies that don't have a presence in Missouri or in our state and are trying to bring them in. You have other groups that are solely focused on helping the existing companies grow and expand or entering export markets. And then you have other groups that are focused on the startup community. So all three of those broad areas are important in economic development. And you need to know what function of the agency is who you're talking to. Because like for even, let's just take St. Louis as an example. We have one group that's focused on international relationships. That's the World Trade Center. Uh, we have another group that's focused on uh, startups. We have one group that's focused on ag tech companies. We we understand that that can sound complicated and and redundant, but it's not. We we cooperate very very well, and if you just find the right person, and then even if they're not the right person, they will send you in the right direction. And and so having that understanding of the function as well as the geography is important. But we're we're really looking for allies. Excellent. Yeah, that's that's a lot of information and good information for commercial real estate professionals. You know, earlier this week, I was speaking to uh, our class of new new hire professionals or new to the industry, and I said one key step to being successful is building a team. And I don't mean team in your office. What I mean is team of resources. So those are attorneys, appraisers, but they include economic development professionals, right? at different levels. Maybe they include chambers of commerce. So you're really, in my mind, for the real estate community, you're part of a, a broker's team, right, that they know to uh, to bring in with, with a client or potentially turn to for a, a lead. Yeah, and we we look at you the same way. We, we look at you as part of our team as well. Um, and, and we're willing to share our network. I mean, we, we have external partners that you probably wouldn't have access to or not as easily access to. So you can look at us as intermediaries uh, to help leverage additional members to your team, whether that's the governor's office or maybe that's university staff or um, you know international partners. We have connections with the trade commissioners, the embassy people. Uh, so we do have a, a, a very big external audience that we would be willing to share our our network with you as well. And then you have access to information. We have databases of information. We have reports. We have cluster analysis, other resources that we would be willing to share and help make your 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 case uh, competitive. So, for example, we can do a business cost comparison between if you if your client is looking, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of a commercial 
real estate broker at this point. Say they're they're trying to they're competing with another state. Um, you know, you can go to your legal local economic developer and say, hey, can you run a business cost comparison between state X and state Y so I can make the case? Or can you help me find information with the utility company on electric rates? So those are ways that we can help open the door for you. We're all interested in improving the economy of our local communities. Yeah, excellent. Um, let's, you know, I'm going to turn the conversation a little bit, Dennis. That's all the great information. But let's talk a bit about what companies are looking for. Because as an economic development professional, I imagine you're in regular conversation with companies that are considering location, locating either in your state, uh, maybe the region, maybe other states. And so you're getting good insight into what they're thinking about. And I'm also, you know, especially in this work from home era, but let's cover that more in detail in a second. So when you're working with a company that's considering relocating to your state, what are the most common questions and concerns the decision makers have? What do they, what do they bring to you as questions? Well, fundamentally, it all gets down to real estate. And, and that's what we tell our local partners. We, when we travel across Missouri and we get invited to go visit communities, and we love going to visit them because we, we learn something about their assets, their downtown, their, their community college, whatever might be going on. But if they don't have an industrial park, if they don't have an industrial building available, there's really not a whole lot we can do for them at the state level. They might be able to get something on entrepreneurship or helping the existing company stay and grow. But from a business attraction perspective, we really need a product. And it's, that's what that's why it's so important for us to have this relationship with 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 the real estate community is because it always goes down to a building or a site. So, for example, I, I had a call today with a company and they needed a specific size building. They're looking for 400 to 500,000 square feet. They needed a 25 foot high ceiling. And they needed a huge amount of electricity. So the building is number one or site. They're, then they're going to be looking at utilities and, and making sure that this is a usable property. And then the third one is going to be workforce. And, and I'm not I'm not ranking this other than existing building or site is number one. And then the fourth one's going to be a logistical network of some type, whether that's interstate access, rail access, or, or airport. So those are, and we're seeing about, I'd say, you know, 25 to 30 percent of our projects are looking for rail uh, as an example. So, and, and each project is going to rank those factors differently. Those, but those are the four fundamentals: building, utilities, workforce, and and transportation network. Now, it, it, you will then add to that list. You will find as we go into, if you don't have those four. You're out of the project, okay? But let's say we got those four. What other what other things are the companies going to look for? They're going to look for is there a good fit with them uh, personally? I have changed my approach to this job. I used to think this was a real estate transaction. It's not a real estate transaction. That's a real. There's a real estate component, but there's really a relationship fit that we're looking for because let's let's take a, a food processing company where there might be noise or there might be an odor associated with it. You know, they're going to want to look for a more rural setting. They're not going to want to look in downtown Chicago or St. Louis or you know, Newark or wherever. They're going to look at a, a, a rural setting. If you look at a, a tech company, they're going to want some type of cultural amenities that you're not going to find with a, with a factory. So each project has its own personality, but fundamentally it's about connecting the real estate with the community where they feel welcome and, and a good fit, a good vibe. And that's hard to define, uh, but you'll you'll hear terms like quality of life. You'll you'll but that will vary by by prospect. They each have their own definition. If it's an international company, they're going to look for 
uh, concentration of, of people from, from their own country. For example, I, I just had a meeting with a Korean company. They wanted to know about uh, golf courses. They wanted to know about churches. Uh, they wanted to know about uh, language schools. They wanted to learn about grocery stores. So each project is a little bit different, but that that, that cultural fit is, is going to be one. They're going to have questions about uh, services from from the, the public agencies like fire response time, police response time, uh, crime is going to be a question that's going to come up on that. And then how can they expand uh, and and be sustainable? It, of course, incentives are going to come into play. Business cost comparisons, uh, business uh, costs are going to come into uh, evaluation. So really, there are about ten to twelve factors, and each one varies a little bit. You know. Depending on the industry, they're going to have a different focus. So a data center is going to be much higher focused on electricity prices and less focused on workforce. A manufacturing plant is going to be more focused on available workforce and maybe less on quality of life. Yeah, every every I would imagine every company is different, right? That's one of the things yes. you're saying. What trend? What what resonates for me? Uh, it's super interesting what you're sharing because there's a lot of considerations to site selection. But what for me to relate to a real estate professional is I would say is ask probing questions about their business and their concerns, right? When you're working with a client, don't just look, is there a 26-foot clear height building available? Ask what else is important to them. Is it workforce? Uh, is it things like rail and power? Is it community? Things like that, right? Because they have a maybe a particular type of workforce they're going after. So one of the things that just resonated for me as you describe that is how important it is to really delve deep into what a company, what matters to them, right? You outlined four factors that are important, but which one of those is the key driving factor? And then both the real estate professional and the economic development professional can be that much more effective at making sure they make a match. Yeah, when I when I um I guess getting back to that ambassador analogy is is helpful because when I go to a trade show or when I meet with companies on, on these these initial contacts, my fundamental question is what's important to you when it comes to a location? Tell me about your company, what are your plans for the United States and what's important to you? And they they tell me that that's an unusual approach because usually the state or the economic development group company will come to them and say, this is why you need to be in my location. They don't ask the question. And so you really need to ask the question, like you said, what are the probing questions? And, you know, I, I like to ask, you know, what's what's what would be the ideal location for you? What's the ideal building? And and I tell them up front, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions because I want to find the perfect solution for you. And if I don't know, here's a common problem I have is not enough information. And, and I'll have a company say, well, we need five acres. Well, tell me, tell me a community in the United States that doesn't have five acres. You know, I really need to know, do you need rail service? You know, what, what do you need? You know, help me out here. And so I do get accused sometimes of asking too many questions, but I think that if you do it in the right attitude and explain to the client why you're asking these questions, because we're, we're wanting to work with you to find what's really important to you, not what's important to us, but what's important to you so we can help you find the right, right um, solution. Excellent. You know, since this is a real estate related podcast, I'm going to kind of ask a tangential question that may be important to some companies in site selection, and that is housing. The availability of housing, the price of housing, uh, is that a conversation that you're having more, uh, let's say today, than compared to four or five years ago, or are companies just assuming it'll all work out? Well, how important is, is housing for their workers in, in decision making in today's environment? It's part of that conversation, Dan, of of the community fit. You know, we, we talked about finding the the industrial building is is pretty easy. Well, it's not as difficult as 
it can be difficult, but it's relatively easy to find the real estate. But it's it gets back to that point I raised earlier about the community fit and the relationship that you have with the community when we have a site visit. So that would be at the stage where we've submitted information to a company for them to evaluate. We've identified five sites or buildings that could work for them in our state that have met their parameters and they'll come over for a site visit. So when we have when we host them in our community, there is always a community tour component to it. And that would be they want to visit the downtown, they want to look at the schools, and they want to look at the housing. And they're very specific on the types of housing that they want to see. They want to see both management housing and workforce housing. And so we explain that to the community partners in advance. We ask them to have a, a broker with them to give an idea of what housing costs are. Uh, that's a very common question, but that's always a component of a site visit, of, is looking at the housing and, and, and imagining their workforce in this community. And, and so that, you know, it's not just housing, it's gonna be park systems, school systems. Is there a vibrant downtown? Do they have, what are some of the recreational opportunities that are there? It, it would be just like relocating to a new community. What would what would be in, what would draw you to that community? And and so, yes, and, and I can't, I can't think, I mean, I've been at my job 14 years. I can't think of a time when we didn't include a housing component in a site visit. So I, I don't know if it's changed that much uh, over time. I always think it's been important as part of the um, selling point at the site visit, but it's not the number one question at the outset. The, the number one question are those four points I talked about earlier, but then we, we keep adding and adding. And that's what eliminates a community would be housing prices. I can tell you, like we, we competed with a German company on a, on a uh, ag tech project and they were looking at us in San Francisco, and then, then they found out what the housing prices were in the California market, and they said, "Okay, no, we're going to, you know, focus now on Missouri and one other state." And uh, but so housing prices can eliminate a project for sure at an early stage. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I'll, a shameless plug is, you know, as a company that offers both residential and commercial services, we can help clients answer both those questions. And it depends on the business, right? Some businesses may be like the expensive housing of the Bay Area may be something they're willing to tolerate to get a certain workforce. And that's okay. Look the talent, yeah. Yep. Right, it just, it just depends, yeah. right. Um, you know, also other things that I hear, you know, I hear talked about is, you know, ESG concerns. Do you find clients... Are companies asking about uh, either estates or municipalities? I don't know if the word is policies or approach to ESG concerns. Yes, we, we we are hearing this. I remember the first question I got. I was actually at the Hanover Messe in Germany like six or seven years ago, and a company came up to me and asked, you know, what what is your production of of electricity by coal? And that was the first time that I was received that question. They they also asked me a question about lifestyle and, and what were the laws in Missouri for a certain you know social class. And and I explained to them, okay, look, yeah, we're moving in this direction. We're 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 being as inclusive as we can as a state. We are looking at uh, renewable energy, but you know, really we're not where we need to be where it comes to electricity production uh, by renewable energy sources. And I don't think very many states are. So that's something that's important to us. Yeah, you know, I I would like to think that as economic developers, we've historically been concerned about making sure that we're providing equitable opportunities to everyone. 
equal access to opportunities. I, I, I hope it's not just a fad. I think it's something that's been part of our DNA is how do we make sure that we raise the entire community? So ESG is is as a term is relatively new, but I would I knowing my profession, I know in community developers and city planners, we as a group have historically been concerned about making sure that we're inclusive in, in what we do in development. And we know that, you know, our city is only as, is as strong as its weakest neighborhood. And so that has been from my urban planning days and early in community development in my last job, we've always been focused on how we get poverty reduction, how do we build up class, uh, you know, classroom scores, et cetera. ESG as a term is relatively new, but I, it's a it's something that we all need to be doing better at. But it opens up opportunities for projects as well as responsibilities for economic development agencies. Right. Yeah. So it does, it, what I've learned from you is there is a wide scope of things that companies relocating are considering. Obviously, there's a core of things that are most important to them, but they're not afraid to ask questions or, across an array of topics that they want to take into consideration as they look at different locations. Yeah. Some of some of our RFIs, Dan, they'll they'll run. You know, some of them are two pages, and some of them are fifteen. It's just it really gets very specific, and it depends on on the the client. And some of the questions I think could be asked at a later time. Let's let's focus on the first five to ten that are fundamental for your success, and then maybe we can get into these secondary questions. But some people ask them up front, and so it'll it'll really vary by the client uh, on how they approach things. But yes, they they're not afraid to ask questions, and we're and we're we welcome those questions. It, it's it, we want to distinguish ourselves. Excellent. Uh, let me, you know, I'm going to ask a little bit of a cynical question, uh, if I may. All the things you talked about are super important. Obviously, uh, financial incentives, tax incentives, things like that come into play as well. I think one could, as I said, cynically look at the economic development business as sort of a zero-sum game. Like, you know, if you take a company, quote-unquote, from another state and relocate them to Missouri or vice versa. You know, what's the gain? I mean, is in the public is the public losing because they're investing in in simply moving pieces around the proverbial United States chessboard? Or is that really a misperception about what's going on in economic development? Unfortunately, it does happen. I, I would say there's a small percentage of our projects are relocations. And there's usually a factor behind that. It could be as simple as a, a fire destroy their plant and they have to start from square one, where do they go? If they're going to rebuild, should they stay where they are or they, does this put all these options on the table? You do have some companies that are chasing incentives. Uh, that does happen, unfortunately. When I go to a trade show and I talk to a company, I'll say, you know, I explain my role and they say, well, we're a family owned business and, and we're not interested in moving. And I, and I, so it's a common perception that that's what we do. And I say, no, 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 you misunderstood. I'm not trying to get you to relocate. I'm looking for your delta. I'm looking for your growth. And, you know, is, you know, if you're a, look, I can give you a, a food processing example. You have these smaller organizations or smaller companies that are doing, the, they're the sole supplier to a big company. And the big companies coming to them and say, look, you need a secondary location because if this, if your your main plant goes down, we're 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 in trouble. So we need you to diversify your risk by open up a second plant, so that you're not in the same. You know, maybe it's hurricane, maybe it's tornado, maybe it's whatever it could be. And so they're looking for the 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 main OEMs for an automotive supply or a food company are looking for diversity of supply, so they they reduce their vulnerability. And that's what we're looking for as a, as Missouri Partnership. Our our primary goal is looking for companies that are growing, whether they're adding a new product line, 
whether they're adding a new plant because they have new access to markets and new customers, or they're following their, 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 their parent or their OEM as saying, as a supply chain, we need you to be in this area. We really don't like to take companies from another state. Uh, it has happened, but for reasons that are a bit unusual. For example, there was one where the original plant burned down. And so then they said, okay, we need to be somewhere. But I would say very minuscule uh, as part of our total projects, almost all of them are looking, for example, I, um, working with an Indian company right now that's, that is wanting to establish a manufacturing plant in the United States. They're not leaving India. They're wanting to access the U.S. market. And so we're looking for that growth. We're not looking to steal companies from another because frankly, the ones that we steal could be stolen from us tomorrow. So that's, it, yeah. It, yeah, it doesn't make sense, but there that's are good, so great, many, yeah, there are so many growing strong companies in this country that there's enough for us to do all of us. So you're not just an ambassador, you're an ambassador for growth, right? You're not, it's not just <laughs> about an ambassador for capitalism. That's my, yeah, that's there my you point. go. I like that a lot. What's on the horizon for economic development? What do you think, you know, I, I, you've talked a lot about what you do, your your enterprise does. What do you think is on the horizon? What's changing or has changed in your 14 years in the industry? What do you think, you know, if we're talking, had this conversation 10 years from now, what would you be talking about? Let me start from a personal perspective and how I've changed how I do my job. So I, I think that there's a lot of room for regional cooperation across states. I'm, I'm in Missouri. I'm, I'm from Iowa. I love the Midwest. I am selling my location as in context of the Midwest, especially when it comes to international companies. And I think there's a lot of room for us to cooperate. I, I mentioned, you know, when we started this conversation about the high level of competition between the states, there's a lot of room for us to work together and sell our Midwest. I'll just pick the Midwest because that's that's my region. I don't know the Southeast or the Southwest as well. But, you know, we do a lot of work. We have a lot of overlap with Indiana, Iowa, Illinois, Ohio. Yes, we compete, but we have some great regional assets that we can market together and we can show that this is the bigger market. So for me, when I talk about Missouri, I'm always, for the last three or four years, I've been pitching it as a poor state in a dynamic region. And I think that as economic developers, we need to figure out a way to work cooperatively multi-state so that we're able to sell that region. Uh, the Economist had a great article on the Midwest and you know we're the fourth largest economy in the world if we were a separate economy tied with Germany. And you know that message resonates with companies, especially international ones. I think we're gonna see a continued focus on um, you know, lifting all the boats within a community. You know, it's something that you know we really have to work on this workforce. I'm concerned about educational attainment and skill sets. It's not so much about the diploma, diploma, it's about what can the worker do. And so that's something where I see opportunities for private sector and public sector to work together. And I think we're going to see more focus on apprenticeship programs. We've done a good job in Missouri. Uh, we we patterned it off of off of Germany. So we have lessons to learn from everyone. And I think the education component is going to be important, that social component. It, it, the downtowns are going to have to be really revitalized. I see that as a, a on a site visit where communities say, well, look, your downtown just doesn't cut it for me. And how do we make sure that we're just not focused on the industrial parks, uh, but we're focused on the entire community? Um, you know, there's a whole types of technology that's on the horizon. There's all types of new industries that we're going to be seeing. I, I don't want to even venture a guess at that, but 
economic developers follow the business world. And so the trends that you're seeing in the business world are going to trickle down to us, whether that's sector or it's philosophy or it's activism, uh, whatever it might be, whatever happens in the future, we're still going to need to work together. And I think that's for me, that's the compelling message is we look as economic developers for a broad team, a big team. We're looking for allies every single day, whether that's universities, whether it's churches, whether it's uh, schools, daycares, whatever it might be, and and we need to all work together. Uh, that's that's the way we look at it. So I don't know what the future is going to hold, but I know we're not going to reach the future if we don't work together. Excellent, excellent thought. It's it's probably good for society as a whole. I appreciate your sentiment on that. Just one last, just challenge question in terms of the future. Uh, I, as you were saying or speaking, I was thinking about work from home. And uh, we talked, yeah, I think primarily we've kind of a little bit focused on manufacturing industrial type relocations, but in the era of work from home, if that's what sticks, right, what does it mean for a company to relocate if your workers are everywhere, right? I, I think about that. It's kind of an odd thing, right? Would a state incent somebody to bring jobs if those jobs aren't really in that state? Does that bring a new challenge to you that maybe, uh, again, we'll be talking about in 10 years and we'll look back and go, wow, that we didn't see that coming. Our incentives, and it's not just Missouri, but most state incentives are are predicated on capital investment and the number of jobs you create. What we're seeing, so let's 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 put the uh, work from home on the side for a second. We've been seeing an increase in automation and machine machinery and equipment as a alternative to to uh, job creation. So capital investment on our projects have gone up. Job creation uh, has gone down uh, per project, and we're going to probably see an acceleration of that as well. And so that's another factor that's impacting state incentive packages. So you're going to have to adjust the incentives to include more focus on capital investment, not just on job creation. Now, back to your work from home program. Uh, this was a real problem for a lot of states or every state who had job creation as, as a uh, eligible factor for incentives because we want those jobs created in Missouri. So we we set the number and it has to be 35 hours a week and it has to be within the state of Missouri. Now it's a challenge for us because we have, we we border eight states. Uh, so you know that's a, that's a challenge for us, but these jobs have to be payrolled in Missouri to, to qualify. So if you're driving back and forth from Illinois, that's not gonna cut it. So th that's that was the challenge for our incentives and for everyone else in, in the world. So we're gonna have to make some adjustments. We have to figure out how this is gonna work it's probably going to be a movement away from uh, job creation by number, and maybe it's going to be total economic impact. Maybe it's going to be capital investment. Maybe it's going to be something else. Uh, but the, the number of jobs is is as as it stands today is probably not going to be the model five years from now. Yeah, excellent. I think we ended on some great questions. It's always good to end a discussion with uh, some things to carry on in the future. So I appreciate that. Uh, listen, we've had a great conversation, Dennis. I really appreciate you joining me today. I'm going to ask you just a one personal question, just so people get a little bit of flavor of who Dennis is. What book are you reading now? Ah, well, Dan, I, I love to read. I just finished How the World Really Works by Vaclav Smil. It's an outstanding book. The guy has a great, I love his attitude. He he defines how the economy really works. He defines some of the challenges that we're facing, both domestically and internationally. And he says, look, I'm not an optimist. I'm not a pessimist. I'm a scientist. And he's also an economist. A great book, How the World Really Works. I highly recommend it. 
All right, thanks so much, Dennis, for your recommendation. And again, on behalf of Cobalt Banker Commercial, thank you very much for joining us. I'm totally happy that we ran into each other at the C5 NAR conference in New York and that you could be our guest today. Uh, if you like this podcast, uh, feel free to go back to the list of other episodes earlier in our podcast series, CRE with CBC Worldwide. I'm Dan Spiegel, Managing Director of Cobalt Banker Commercial. And we look forward to having you listen to a podcast of ours in the future. Dennis, thank you for joining us. My pleasure, Dan. Bye.